The reading this morning is taken from Luke chapter 8, and I'm reading from verses 1 to 15. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who'd been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground And when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still, other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop, a hundred times more than was sown. When he said this, he called out, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. He said, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables, so that, though seeing, they may not see, though hearing, they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. I guess for many of us, the parable of the sower is a familiar one. It's one of those stories that's been told and retold countless times. So the danger is that when we hear it again, we can think we already understand everything that there is to learn from it. Yet God's word is living, and it's active, sharper than any two-edged sword. So we should expect that each time we look at something like this, we'll discover new insights, that we'll be challenged anew by the simple message of this parable. And what I'd like to do this morning is to concentrate not so much on the story itself as on the three things that make up the story. That is, the seed, the soil, and the sower. First of all, the seed. If you'd been a follower of Jesus and you observed the things that were going on at this point in time, you'd have no trouble imagining the kingdom of God taking over the world. People were flocking to Jesus. People were being healed. Evil spirits were being driven out of people's lives. The power of the kingdom was obvious to all who were there. It would have been easy to think that the kingdom of God 
would simply overwhelm all those who opposed it. Yet as Jesus tells this parable, he raises something puzzling for us. If this is meant to tell about the growth of God's kingdom, there's something wrong. The means of the growth of God's kingdom seems a bit weak. A tiny seed? It's all a bit hit and miss, isn't it? Some of it grows, some of it dies. Yet this is God's plan to bring in his kingdom. There's a mystery here. You'd think if the Lord of the universe wanted to bring his rule to bear on the world, he'd be employing an army of angels. He'd be calling down lightning on his enemies. He'd be silencing those who oppose him by supernatural means. But that's not what's implied in this parable, is it? He says, this parable reveals to his disciples the secrets of the kingdom of God. The kingdom is going to come about by a slow and secret process that won't be immediately apparent. There'll be a time of planting, a time of growth in secret, and only at the end of time will the harvest be fully reaped. So how is this growth to occur? What is the seed that will be planted? What is the secret ingredient that will lead to the kingdom of God taking root in this world? The answer is simple, and it's given in verse 11. The seed is the word of God. The seed is the gospel that will be proclaimed from Jerusalem to Samaria and to the furthest ends of the world. The preaching of the gospel will germinate into a kingdom of God's people that will expand and flourish as people hear and respond to the call of God. Now, we can't underestimate the importance of that statement. There are so many other means that people would prefer to use to bring in God's kingdom. In fact, there are Christians in our world today who are embarrassed to use God's word to spread the kingdom. Instead, they put other things in its place. There are some who put ritual and liturgy, the sacraments, at the forefront, who, when faced with a crisis, offer comfort and concern at a human level, perhaps grief counselling, but wouldn't think of bringing God's word into the situation. There are some who replace the word of God with social action or political involvement, who rightly see the need for Christians to be involved with those who are downtrodden and abused by those in power. But the danger is that they forget the message of the cross in their work for justice. They forget that the kingdom of God will come into being only as people's hearts are changed by the working of his spirit in their lives. That even a totally just society wouldn't represent God's kingdom unless in that society the people had given themselves wholeheartedly to God's rule in their lives. Now these are all excellent expressions of the love of God and the healing that the gospel can bring. But if they're offered in the absence of the proclaiming of God's word, they're just empty vessels. Jesus knew that in his healing of people, 
that in itself the healing was insufficient. That's why at the start of Mark's gospel, when Peter tells him that there's a crowd waiting for him, presumably so he can continue his healing ministry, he says these words. No, we need to go to other villages so I can preach the kingdom of God there as well. And then he adds this. That is why I have come. He had come to preach a word which wouldn't solve the problems of the world. It wouldn't put an end to terrorism, to injustice, to poverty or starvation. It was a word about personal repentance, personal forgiveness, personal faith and personal discipleship. It was a word that wouldn't change the masses. It would just change individuals. It sounds like an inefficient strategy, doesn't it? But as we'll see in a moment, it carries within it the seed of revolution as individuals respond in obedience and continue to spread the word of God to others. And that's why when the crowd tried to take him and make him their king, he walked away from them. It wasn't that radical change wasn't needed in the political and social justice systems of that time. But the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that had to come first. First, people's hearts needed to be changed. And that is why the seed that we must plant must be the word of the gospel. Well then, what about the soil? I think it's vital in this world of experts, of trained practitioners, of sales techniques, that we understand the back-to-front nature of this parable. If a modern-day guru were telling the story, they'd talk about one type of soil and four different ways of sowing it. But not so in our parable. There's only one sower, yet the seed has four different ends. This is not about technique. This is not about one of the sowers who researched his market better than the rest so that what he sowed bore better fruit than the others. In fact, the method of sowing is quite unskilled. The seed is just scattered about willy-nilly without any control over where it lands. The sower doesn't have to look for the right soil, he just scatters the seed. That's because what matters isn't the skill of the sower, but that the seed is actually scattered and that the soil is fertile. But we'll come back to that when we think about the sower. Let's just look at the soil now. As Jesus tells the story, it becomes clear that there appears to be at first glance, at least, a terrible waste of effort involved in sharing the gospel with people. I imagine as he spoke, looking up at the crowds that had gathered to hear him. That he looked up and he wondered, what kind of soil is this? These apparent converts would mostly fall away in the end. And why? For the sorts of reasons that he explains in our parable. There are some who hear but then the devil almost straight away comes and takes the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. 
I guess there might have been some in the crowd who'd made up their mind about Jesus long ago and they weren't about to take his words too seriously. And we too will encounter those types of people. People who will reject the word of the gospel without even thinking about it. Some will refuse the possibility of changing their lifestyle because that would be too hard. Some will object self-righteously that they have no reason to repent because they're just as good as the next person. Others will simply ignore the gospel because they have their own form of spirituality that they're perfectly happy with. Thank you very much. And others again will think that they're too sophisticated to believe any of that religious mumbo jumbo. But notice where Jesus points as the source of this hardness of heart. In verse 12, he says these words. The devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts. Jesus is convinced that the work of preaching the gospel will be opposed by a personal force of evil that he identifies as the devil. If that's so, then we better be praying for God's help as we share the gospel with people, hadn't we? But then there are others who receive the gospel with joy to start with. And of these, there are two types. Some hear and respond, but don't take it much further. They fail to dig any deeper. Their response is largely superficial. The adrenaline rush of their initial conversion experience soon wears off and isn't replaced with anything else. Perhaps they were misled about the realities of following Christ. Perhaps they were led to believe that life would be rosy once they were in God's kingdom. And now they're beginning to experience the reality of discipleship, of being a follower of the suffering servant. And so they lose their enthusiasm for following Jesus and they decide to throw it all in. And the reason for this, they have no roots. They haven't delved into the depths of God's word to develop a root structure that will sustain them in the difficulties of life. The other type of short-lived growth is where there's an initial growth in the discipleship, but their commitment isn't 100%. And as time goes on, their percentage drops even further. Their mind gets distracted by other things, the cares and riches and pleasures of life. These can be all sorts of things, sporting interests, social service activities, our children, our work. There's so many different things that pull our commitment away from Jesus and drop our percentage. But the message isn't all as depressing as that. There is some soil upon which the seed falls And when the seed falls in the soil, it grows and grows until it produces a hundredfold. Again, this has nothing to do with the sower. It's just that the soil is fertile. When the seed falls on this ground, the initial growth is followed by ongoing development. These people receive God's word and hold it fast in an honest and good heart. And at this point, the image diverges a little. Because at this point, God's word acts not just as the seed, but as food. It's as these people hold fast to God's word that they grow. And that what's the result of that growth? They bear fruit with patient endurance. They persevere in their service of God 
And in the process, they begin to bear fruit. And if we notice the bountiful nature of the harvest, they produce a hundredfold. At this point, we've come full circle. Do you see how that is? As the word takes root in the believer's heart, they begin to bear fruit. And how do they bear fruit? By sowing the seed themselves. So let's think about the sower now. What do we discover about the sower in this parable? Not a lot really. This is what we're told. A sower went out to sow his seed and as he sowed. That's all. So what can we learn that might help us sow the seed? The first thing we see is that the sower isn't the critical factor. The critical factors are the seed. It must be the word of God if it's to bear the fruit of God. And the soil, it has to be receptive to the seed. The sower simply scatters the seed. And now I hope that that's encouragement to you. Because what it says to me is, I don't have to be a gifted evangelist in order to take the gospel to people. All I have to do is make sure I'm able to express the gospel clearly and make sure I know God's word enough to tell other people about it. I don't need to know special techniques. I don't need to know the answers to all the hard questions. What people are worried about now is not the quality of my reasoning, but the quality of my life. I gain credibility through my lifestyle. Credibility that gives me openings for sharing the gospel with people. Look around you. What you see here is a place where the argument for the validity of the gospel is compelling. Here is a place where you can find genuine love and community. That sort of thing can't be faked. That means that every single one of us is able to scatter the seed of God's word simply by pointing people to the life of those who have received that word and are living by it. The second thing, there is no right or wrong way to sow. Most of us come out of a time and culture where we relied on programs to bring us success in evangelism. Think Alpha. Churches would develop their programs and the members would be expected to join in and bring their friends and we'd hope that something would come from it. We still do it. And in a sense, there's nothing wrong with that sort of thing if we do it carefully and wisely. But let me suggest that in this new time in which we live, we need to give one another freedom and license to think outside of the box, to come up with new and innovative ways of sowing the seed. We need to recognize that a technique that works for me may not work for you. You may be far better not working with any technique at all. That doesn't mean you don't need to sow the seed. If you're going to bear fruit a hundredfold, you need to be sowing seed. But it may be that the way you do it may be unique for you. 
Now, what I want to say to all of us today is this. We don't need to be specially gifted to spread the seed of the gospel here at All Saints. We don't need to use a particular technique. All we need is a desire to bear fruit and a willingness to try and scatter the seed. You might already have an idea or even the seed of an idea. You might have an idea that's just waiting to burst into flower. Or you might need to pray about it or talk to others about how you might do it. But really, it's up to each one of us to do what we can to bear fruit for God, isn't it? Yesterday we hosted Brave. We had 165 women sitting in this room. They chose to be here to lean in and learn. Seed was planted and we pray it fell on fertile ground. But more importantly, we pray it brings change to the kingdom. We pray that it brings to life women of faith who are going to go out and become sowers of seed. Tomorrow is the 1st of August, Women's Month. And we are honoring Women's Month with our Wonder Woman series once again. And we are focusing on lesser known women in the Bible who brought change into their world. Some of these women didn't even know about Jesus. He wasn't even born yet. But regardless of that fact, they brought about change because they knew that something better was coming. They knew that their hope for eternity was in a king that was coming to rescue them. Change that we can still learn from today. And I urge you to join us as we explore these women, their lives, their stories, and how we can learn from scripture and from their example about how they brought about change in their community, in their time, in their situation. There are 187 women named in the Bible. Many more not named. Lot's wife didn't get a name. She was just known as Lot's wife. We've chosen four. I'm not going to tell you their names because I'll be spoiling the fun then. But they're not well known. So don't think Mary, Martha, Sarah, Elizabeth, Eve. We're not doing that. These are really lesser known women. But join us. Because how are you going to sow the best kind of seed possible? By delving into the word of God. And we've got examples hidden in scripture that allow us to take the word of God into the very essence of who we are and make us better sowers. And don't we all want to be better at sowing seed? I know it doesn't require much skill, but we can all be better. And I want to be the best sower out there, don't you?